And so it's just in general, you don't have the systems in place that help you grow and scale. And then by the time you get there, you're so busy and you're trying to ret- retroactively put in these systems, it's much harder. So yep. to take a look at where you're going to be in a couple of years and try to develop systems that you may not even need right now. Hello, and welcome to the Ecom Ops Podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. And now, your host, Norbert Strapler, the CEO of Sync Spider. Hello and welcome to another Ecom Ops podcast. Today I'm talking to brothers, namely Michael and Eugene. They have Factory Pure. They started a business together. That's cool. Guys, tell me a bit more of yourself and how it is to work together in the company as brothers. We've been doing it since we were little children, basically. That's cool. Um, so we, we're not the, the kind of brothers that get into competition. We like to work together and, and help each other out. So it, it's been great. We're, we have a seven-year age difference. So Mike's been doing this since he was about 12 years old. And do you have different departments that you split up or, or how do you process that? Yeah. And now we have different roles. You know, at the beginning, it was basically just us doing everything. So when we didn't even have a real business, it was like cold calling, trying to get brands, uh, data entry, adding products into the website. So it was a lot of this kind of transactional work. And then yeah. as the business grew, we developed more employees, we developed actual functions. And then we started to specialize just based on what we knew. So Eugene is always uh, very good with uh, tech stuff, web development. So um, it became natural for him to handle more of the front end. And then just from like my educational background, work experience, I had some experience in HR, accounting. And so I just naturally started handling some of the back office stuff and things emerged pretty organically. We've never had to have a formal conversation about who does what. We just took on the responsibilities that made sense. That's cool. You just did it. Um, it's, it's an e-commerce store. What are you doing? How did it come into e-commerce? We started e-commerce by accident. It's been probably 10 plus years, 15 years at this point. We started with electronics. We realized that we're able to to have some arbitrage situations when we were younger on eBay where we could buy and resell different items. And we we quickly realized that selling on eBay wasn't very sustainable for us because they take a big cut and uh, wasn't uh, really conducive to how we wanted to grow the business. So... At some point, we threw up a a very basic website, which at that point in time was much harder to do than it is now with Shopify and various other similar platforms. And really just started figuring the marketing aspect out. And at some point, that business didn't work out. So we pivoted to different products that we're selling now, which is power equipment, air purifiers. But we realized at some point early on that we learned a lot in the other business and in some ways, e-commerce is just e-commerce and the products that you sell don't really matter as much. Got it. And uh, you mentioned it already, but I assume you are using it. Uh, what shopping cart solution are you using? We use Shopify. Shopify, yeah. As you mentioned, Shopify and others. How is the experience for you uh, working with, with Shopify? How do you feel when you work with the shop uh, system? And, and are there any uh, issues that you face? Or is there anything what is especially good because of that? 
There, there are certainly some limitations as you scale. I'll, I'll let Mike talk about that in a bit. But when you're starting out, it's a very easy to use platform. It's, mm-hmm. it's fairly inexpensive. You don't need a developer. You can start very quickly, easily. You can make your website in a couple hours, very basic website. And of course, you can customize it from there. But it's very easy for entrepreneurs that are starting out because you not only can make a website very easily and quickly yourself, but Shopify has a third-party app store where developers make custom integrations that you can use with your store from anything to bookkeeping or anything from bookkeeping to like we used it even to make a custom menu. So we didn't want to hire a developer, pretty expensive. So there's some app where you make a dynamic menu and it looked pretty professional. So it's very easy to get going. As far as the limitations, I think as you scale, there's several we've run into recently, some with sales tax. Maybe Mike wants to touch on that. Yeah. So some of the limitations of Shopify is related to its own reporting. So sometimes the sales reports and the sales tax reports doesn't accurately capture the amount of sales, refunds, partial refunds that you've actually processed. So especially if you're doing uh, what's called manual capture, where you're not charging the customer's credit card right away, you're putting a, a hold on it for a few days, and then you're capturing the payment later. If you capture a different amount than what was authorized, for example, like if the customer changed an order, or they dropped an item from their order, they added a new item, sometimes that confuses Shopify's own reporting system. And so if you pull up the sales reports or you pull up your sales tax liabilities, it's not going to actually reflect accurately what you owe. So we've built some workarounds to actually track that more accurately and happy to speak to that later. But yeah, it's definitely this, um, the the reporting side of it can present some challenges at this scale. Got it. Yeah. Uh, Do you code yourself uh, things around uh, Shopify or do you meanwhile engage developers to build things for you? Or are you completely satisfied by using apps and figuring out how it works? We've always used, not always, but in the last probably three, four years, we've used a developer, a freelance developer. And recently, just a few months ago, we've hired a in-house developer. Oh, wow. So our, our site is very customized and we work with a lot of different brands, vendors. They all have different shipping options. So as one example, we need to do a lot of customization on the front end so that the customer knows when they're getting the item and, um, Lately, we've had a lot of focus, of course, on conversion optimization. So we wanted to bring somebody in-house that can give us these customizations on the back end that we can then control and make changes. So at the beginning, we didn't have a developer the first three, four years. It wasn't really necessary. We were trying to find a proof of concept. The going too heavy on the apps is not great either because it slows your website down. So it, it's nice as kind of an accent when you're starting out to have a more professional looking website. And once you scale, once you get some proof of concept, it's a good idea to have somebody that hardwires everything in because site speed is very important. Hmm. With apps also, it's not necessarily you're using an app in place of a developer or a custom developer, you know, consulting or something like that. A lot of times for apps that we've used for some of the more complex workflows like sales tax or for order processing, we've still had to have a professional setup workflow automations and things like that. So, you know, one thing that we use a lot is Airtable and we use Parabola to connect Shopify to Airtable. So Parabola is kind of like Zapier. And when it came time to develop some of these automations um, using apps, 
every business has a choice to make about you know how much do the owners want to spend learning these tools and setting them up all together or on their own. And at the beginning of the journey of the business, it makes more sense to do everything yourself because you don't have any mm. cash flow and you need to be more lean. But as as the projects grow in complexity, for us, it just makes sense to find an expert in some of these tools and pay them to configure the apps in a way that suits our business. So an app is not necessarily a substitute for paying somebody to do something. Yeah, I, I understand. I see this quite often. I mean, an app is an app and you need to deal with it. And sometimes configuration still requires a bit more uh, skills on that specific topic than the founder would have time to look at it. So this makes total sense. You named it already. You have a tool for automation to fill up Airtable. How important is automation for you? Well, it's it certainly um, is needed to automate certain flows of data in particular as you scale the business because mm -hmm. a lot of what we were doing manually monthly sales tax reports monthly order checks like just checking the status of orders what's processed what stage of, of the process is every order in at an earlier stage of the business a few years ago we could do all this by hand and just you know log into shopify filter for unfulfilled orders look at each one one by one so, uh, Copy and now paste that to fill be. up a, a shipping label. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so all those things, it's like at some point you have to start streamlining those things. And for us, automation doesn't mean taking humans out of the process. It just means enabling a human to deal with more volume in the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the automations like finding unfulfilled orders or putting together sales tax data, it still requires a human reviewer because you you would have to spend years trying to build in every single if then statement you can think of if you want to purely automate stuff so it's always a combination of person and the uh, computer yeah and do you sell on other marketplaces as well or are you just using your own store we sell just on our own store ever considered marketplaces or is there a reason why you don't want to go there we've done it in the past briefly We've run into a few issues and I think for us, because we, we deal with very heavy items and so it's very difficult to, to play by their rules and there are terms where a customer can return an item regardless of the reason. And for us, sometimes the shipping, especially both ways can make up 50 or 70% of the item value. And so we, we like to set up our own terms for shipping, for returns. And I think Amazon, eBay, they're okay for smaller, lighter items where, you know, if you don't like it, go ahead and send it back. No worries. For us, we can't really operate that way. So we don't generally take returns on our products mm -hmm. just due to both ways of shipping. So um, that plus with e-commerce, the margins are very low and they take quite a cut. Yeah, I understand that. When you deal with big things where you need a uh, some kind of cargo partner to to uh, transport that on a pallet. That's for sure something that is a bit more difficult to sell on marketplaces. Yeah, got that. Yeah, especially now. So our yeah. there's we're having issues with diesel. So freight shipping yeah. costs are more expensive than they've ever been. So it's even more difficult now to take returns and have this item shipped there for three hundred dollars and shipped back for three hundred dollars and the item costs eight hundred dollars. Yeah, I got it. We are talking about higher costs now. That's very interesting. I mean, we are closing 2022 soon. So how would you describe this year? Are you satisfied with the results? It, it's certainly been an interesting year. I think we, we can look at it two ways. One, we've certainly made some amazing strategic hires in, in marketing and web development and customer service that I think will 
will power us through going forward. Uh, but it's been an interesting year. We've run into some issues that not just e-commerce, but all retailers came in this year where we anticipated a supply shortage for longer than it ended up happening. And we anticipated demand to stay high. And of course, different things happen, inflation, and that didn't happen. They caught up a little bit on supply chain. So we ended up with a lot more inventory than we <laughs> we needed because a year ago or a year and a half ago, you were ordering everything with about a nine-month lead time. So you're placing orders every month and they'll arrive later in the year. And at some point, the they they sped up production and demand went away. And so we're, we ended up with a lot of inventory and we're selling through that now, but that's just part of business. That's part of the business. Absolutely. In your experience, what is the most common mistake that e-commerce businesses make? Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard for us to speak to most e-commerce businesses. We have maybe just our personal experience, but it's mm -hmm. a couple of things. So one is maybe, and, and in our case, to clarify, I mean, we resell products, so we're not manufacturing something. Um, other e-com businesses, like they have their own brand, they're producing something or they're bundling or kidding. So we're reselling a product and we have a very big catalog. It's thousands of SKUs. And so one of the mistakes is probably not being strategic at the beginning about the labeling of those SKUs, mm -hmm. like uh, literally what, what you put as the variant SKU in Shopify. Sometimes it would just be an item number. There wasn't really a clear pattern to it. And you have to maybe envision a future where you have a more diverse catalog of, of different products you're selling, or maybe you're going to be bundling them together. So you have to be kind of strategic about um, kind of the approach to titling the product and, and labeling these things, formatting the description uh, in a way that you can apply the same logic to you know hundreds more, thousands more SKUs over the next few years, rather than having to go back and adjust the format of, of everything that you've already done. So so that that's can maybe one mistake. It's a little bit general, but just not having like the long-term thinking. I I've seen this quite often already. So it's not it's really a common mistake. I've seen this quite often. A lot of uh, startups do not think about SKU patterns uh, right. before they start. They just put in everything. Most of them even without any SKU at all. So which is possible. Even I think a Shopify that you need not enter an SKU, right? You can just put it on. And and this is something, uh, as you grow, you need that. You need that pattern, especially when it comes to automation with maybe some stock keeping uh, software uh, or ERP software that you want to attach on later as you need it, because everything works with those SKUs or cheating codes. So that's, that's I think, very important. Thank you. If you talk about the mistakes, is there anything that you say, this was a really cool step, this, this really helped out and this helped us grow? Yeah, we have a lot of, especially recently with the automation, we've had a, a lot of interesting examples of things that help us scale. And I think to, to the previous point about the SKUs, you know, that's kind of one example that's a microcosm of a business as a whole, where when you grow, you don't really think where you're going to be in a year or two. And so it's just in general, you don't have the systems in place that help you grow and scale. And then by the time you get there, you're so busy and you're trying to ret retroactively put in these systems, it's much harder. So yep. to take a look at where you're going to be in a couple of years and try to develop systems that you may not even need right now. But we mm -hmm. use several apps. So we, because a lot of our products are drop shipped, mm -hmm. we used to manually open up Gmail and submit an order to different manufacturers, very time consuming for the gentleman that does that for us. And we have an app now that's synced with Shopify where you essentially can click 
20 different products and it already has those vendors information stored, press a button and it sends it out to all of them. We have some marketing automation that we've done recently, also through Airtable and Parabola, the workflows where you really can do anything you want there. So we have one flow that helps us catch when orders haven't been fulfilled in a certain amount of time, because that's very difficult to do manually when you're dealing with hundreds of vendors. Things are just going to fall through the cracks and you reach out to them and ask why it hasn't shipped. And they say, oh, never saw the order. So there's always reasons. Yeah. So there are various reasons why orders haven't been fulfilled or they're out of stock and they just don't let us know. So this app works the same way where it'll pull in all of the orders that haven't shipped in, let's say, four days. And with one click of a button, it can send it to all the manufacturers with the specific order numbers to see what's the status. Mm -hmm. So we've we've really tried to use that automation in every, every facet of what we do. Another one is on the marketing side. We have it set up where if an order has certain key terms, like for example, we work with a lot of contractors and plumbers and electricians. So if it has a certain keyword that this person may have a plumbing company or they're an electrician, it'll pull that email address into a separate email list where we can then do some targeted email campaigns where maybe we have new inventory that they would like. Cool. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. Thank you. Um, what do you think are the biggest challenges at the moment for e-commerce businesses? What do they face today, especially when costs are increasing so dramatically? So one challenge is just unit economics. And we've alluded to this earlier where we can't take returns on a lot of what we sell, like heavy equipment, because it would become economically unsustainable to sell those things online if if we had to eat the costs of returning them in uh, buyer's remorse cases and things like that. And um, a lot of you know other e-commerce businesses, they sell a lot on Amazon, they're doing FBA or whatever it is they're doing. Different products with same problem as far as unit economics, right? With, with Amazon taking uh, a big percentage, they're not making much margin on each unit. So they, ha- they have uh, to rely on the volume. And so every business has this mix of margin versus volume. And it's hard to set up a profitable e-commerce business these days, probably because the market is so saturated. Price comparison is is really yeah. easy. And in the United States, the other big challenge is going to be sales tax. So the sales tax laws have changed over the last few years in the US. And a lot of web store platforms haven't been able to adjust 100% uh, in terms of the reporting. As I alluded to earlier, a lot of sellers are probably getting into it late, or maybe they're finding out the hard way that, that they should be charging sales tax on something if, if they're getting notified by a state. So this is a problem that's maybe specific to the US, but it's going to be facing everybody who uh, grows beyond a certain volume of business, regardless of, of what product they're selling. Okay, got it. Got it. Yeah, very interesting. Thank you very much, guys. Last question for today. Who taught you the most about e-commerce in your career? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. We we didn't really have anybody specifically or any mentors or people that we dealt with that taught us about e-commerce. I think we learned through a couple of different ways. One was just trial and error when we started back in the day, which was a lot harder because they didn't have these platforms that we have now. So it it was the store was going to be very, very basic and look nothing like it is today unless you hired, hired a developer. And mm-hmm. so we threw up a storefront, learned how the back end works, uh, kind of evolved through there. And I think at that time when we were trying to find something else to do or some other products to sell, we listened to a lot of podcasts much like this one. So that, awesome. that taught a lot. That actually gave us the idea even of what we're doing now. It, it was a 
specific podcast. So we would spend a lot of time with audiobooks, podcasts. It's a great resource. It's a free resource and you should certainly use it. Yeah, echo that. Consume the content. That's cool. Thank you very much. This is why we do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, to to really to help people. I think podcasts, YouTube, Googling, forums, community actually. Listen to the community and take this free resource wherever you can. Thank you very much, guys, for this great interview. I think we learned much today, especially when you start a business, to focus on what you're doing and put on things fast, test it out. This is what I've a bit heard from you. So you put up a website fast, you try to sell it, to build it yourself, to learn from that and you step-by-step step grown the company in a very stable funding and environment. And that's something that is really cool when a business grows slightly, but stable. And put an SKU on all your products when you start. <laughs> Oh, no, just kidding. Thank you very much. And if you liked it, don't forget to subscribe to our EcomOps podcast. See you soon. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Thank you. Nice Bye. to be here. And that's it for this episode of the EcomOps podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for EcomOps podcast in your favorite podcast listening app and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time. 